character of Wabi Lovat is not in Neil Gaiman's novel. He was created so Coraline would not have to talk to herself and Aww. so that she would have a friend her own age. Because in the story, it's all from her perspective, and she's talking to herself. Wow. That's uh, wild. However, in the novel, she is told about a family that used to live in the apartment complex, and that family's name was Lovat. So yes. they did take inspiration from the fact that his family used to live there. Yes, and that there's a deep history about that, too. Uh, over 130 sets were built across 52 different stages at the studio, spanning 183,000 square feet. Jesus. The 52 different stages were the most ever developed for, uh, deployed for a stop-motion animated feature. And boy, were they some beautiful sets. Gorgeous I fucking sets. That would have been amazing to walk through there and see, like, the you know, the scenes, you know, outside the range of where the, the camera was picking up, you know, like how they looked in reality. That, that would have been so cool. Well, if you ever head over to my side of the world, uh, Oregon has a, like, a... Um, uh, museum of sorts. It's pretty much called an uh, Coraline Museum. And I think they have some of the sets. But, like, I was watching some of the BTS, if you will, like the kids are saying, behind the scenes. And, um, and the sets were like... I could probably lay down in one of the sets. I probably damaged some of the things. But they're so big. It fits, like, my body. Like, it, where it would sit. So it would sit at desk level. So probably from, like, my torso level and up. And it would definitely be taller than me. Okay. That makes sense. That way they can move the puppets from whichever yes. beneath whatever they need to do to make the scene work out. Okay. Yeah. So it, it was just... I had never done a deep dive like that before to know all this information, but like even knowing it now, it's it 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 makes you appreciate it even more. Like yeah. the, the effort that was put into it. So well, the amount of effort they put into this is just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean it it, it uh, and it's in the trivia. At least some of the stuff is. Yeah. Uh, the on-screen snow was made from super glue and baking soda. Oh my god. That's pretty cool. There were 24 different puppets of Coraline used in the making of the movie. Each one took 10 individuals uh, three to four months to make. Oh, my so, God. 24 different puppets, and each one took 10 people oh three God. to four months to make. Oh, my God. Initially, the film was going to be live action, and Dakota Fanning was actually going to be physically portraying Coraline. When it was decided instead to make it a stop-motion animated film, Fanning was asked if she would still be interested in providing Coraline's voice. She said yes, and she thought it would be more, uh, fun to do, and grew even more excited when she saw that what Coraline was going to look like in the movie. Yeah, I mean, she Coraline doesn't look anything like the book. Uh, so I, they came up with her own style, and... I just can't think of anything else that would have worked. Yeah, it it's hard to imagine anything else because they made it so iconic looking. After yeah. The fact. Do you think they could get away with doing a live action Coraline? They're going to at some point. You know how this shit happens. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's going to be a point I, if it's not ten years, fifteen, whatever it is, where uh, the people who grew up on Coraline, like you, you know, your daughter's generation, are going to be in movies. You know, and they're going to be like, you know what movie I love? Coraline. Let's yeah. make a fucking live action of that. It's going to happen. Yeah. You know? I just hope that it's good. Um, I will let's, say let's that. Let's hope that Disney doesn't make it because oh, they God. don't make live action that well. No, so. they need to make it an actual horror film. Uh, <laughs> and not only that, but 
they need oh, so Dakota Fanning could have played the live action Coraline based off the book cover. I mean, it's not an actual match. The 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 art used in the Coraline book is very abstract, so obviously it's not going to look like a real real person. But she would have made a good live action version of it. Speaking of that abstract thing, something I noticed in the movie is there's a scene where Coraline's looking up at like maybe her ceiling or something, and she sees what looks like Starry Night. Did you did you yes! notice that? I yes, this is the first time I noticed that. Yeah, I, I didn't notice it until this time either, and, and that also looks amazing, by the way, going yes. back to the visuals. But it's just kind of cool because it looks just like Starry Night, just done in like a you yes. know stop motion version, which is cool. Fucking impressive! They did that uh, intentionally. That well, obviously everything's intentional, but the thing that throws me off about it is that it's at the end. It's when the ghost children are there. Um, starry, starry night was considered to be a dream because apparently, um, why am I blanking on the fucking artist? Uh, Vincent Van Gogh. Van Gogh. No, not Van Gogh. Is it Van Gogh? Yes. It's Van Gogh. Uh, it's, it's, I think it is. Uh, uh, there's another name coming to me. Hold on. Uh, it is Van Gogh. Uh, and okay. how do I not know this? It's literally tattooed on my butt. Um, <laughs> you think I know these things? <laughs> there might be a Death Star in it, but hey, Vincent Van Gogh, okay? That's what he intended. Um, he was a dreamer. He was he was a notorious dreamer uh, like me. Uh, I'm not cutting off my ear or painting any awesome pictures, so I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not cool like that. But he was a dreamer, uh, here, and this is what that allegedly was about. You know that actually has a medical basis too. Starry Night does. I didn't realize this until I was in pharmacy school that they mentioned this. Hmm. Uh, so you know how the stars in that have like that uh, like yellowish glow around them, yeah. like that halo effect. You get that whenever you have uh, foxglove poisoning. Oh, or, shit. Uh, digoxin is like is a derivative of that, like they use it for arrhythmias. Yeah. And uh, Van Gogh was dosing foxglove for whatever reason at the time. So they think that he was having, you know, uh, toxicity from foxglove. And he was seeing, when he looked up at the night sky, he saw those halos around the stars. And that's why he was, you know that play into the the look of starry night yeah just kind of an interesting medical fact about that oh well he was in a uh, he was in a asylum at the time which by the way it looks like a fucking beautiful asylum it looks like it's out in like the french countryside although i don't know that that's exactly where it was at but um yeah he had a okay it said uh Housed in a former monastery, okay, that's why it's beautiful. Saint Paul de Massol catered to the wealthy, and that was and was less than half full when Van Gogh arrived, allowing him to occupy not only a second-story bedroom but a ground-floor room used only as a painting studio. Which Vincent Van Gogh, as far as I knew, wasn't rich. But anyways, we're getting off the topic here. But yeah, he was at, he was at a, an as, a quotation mark an asylum when he did that. <laughs> Must be well. It, it wouldn't be nice to be a tortured artist like that, but it must be nice to to be able to just fuck off and then like yeah. you know just do nothing but paint. You know while you're having your you're screaming at the wall and seeing things. Yeah, but, microdosing know. on foxtails. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, the face on the dollar bill given to the mover for a tip, which uh, speaking again about the visuals, that looks like a dollar bill. Like yes. they did that well and making it have that cloth like appearance. But anyways, the, the, the face on that is actually the director, Henry Selick. So yeah, a little bit of information. 
The leaves in the scene where Coraline is returning to the well were created by spraying popcorn paint oh, and yeah. cutting it up into little pieces. Yes, I did see that in the in the BTS. I was like, what the fuck? The band, they might be giants. That's the band. I'm sorry, oh, yeah. I spoke of uh, talking. It's they may be giants. Broke ten songs for the movie, but a change in tone from musical to uh, from a musical to a darker production meant that all but two were cut. One when Coraline's other father sings along with piano, featuring John Linnell's voice, and the others during the end credits. The band he has said uh, has said that they will release the other songs created for the movie and other projects, including albums. Wow. So there you go. One crew member was hired specifically to net. Sweaters and other clothing for the puppet characters using knitting needles almost as thin as human hair. Yeah, and they didn't even look like knitting needles. They honestly look like like sewing needles, regular sewing needles. Can you imagine the arthritis this person's going to have at some point in their life from knitting these little small sweaters with like basically needles? You know, like I mean, sewing needles. I mean, just. I, I I don't my hands hurt thinking yeah. about it. Yeah, well, not even the uh, the sweaters. She also knitted the gloves. <laughs> oh gee. Yes. So like, uh, yeah, and it, it looked like and thin as hair. I mean, I, I guess so. It looked like it looked like she was knitting with thread, needles and thread. I don't know how they showed it too, and I'm like, how. I mean, obviously, this was something she probably did. If it was, like, you know, nowadays, she would probably be doing it for Etsy or something like that. But, like, uh, that's just ridiculous. Like, I don't, I mean, it has to be somebody who was, if that woman was older, I don't, I mean, God bless her. I imagine that's, like, something a young person would have, you know, it's like, I can do this. It's, like, fine. Mm -mm. She was, I want to say, probably in her 30s when she was doing this. And who knows? Well, that's still young enough. Yeah. I mean, you give her a few more, even 10 more years, she's going to be like, eh, my hands are cramping up just a little bit. Exactly. And I think she's just, she was a normal knitter in, in real life, but I don't know if they just asked her, like, hey, can you knit on the scale of, oh, I don't know, a hundred times less than what you're already doing. (laughs) She was like, yeah, okay, I got you. Uh, Mr. Bobinski is wearing the Russian hero medal for service at the Chernobyl nuclear disaster on April 26, 1986, which reads on the front, participant in the cleanup campaign. The 4A3C indicates uh, Chernobylsky nuclear power plant. This medal is uh, unique as it is the only medal in the world awarded for participation in nuclear cleanup. This might explain his co- his skin complexion and odd behavior. Yep. So when we say that he's, I mean, and I didn't realize this. I only knew this because of the notes. That's the reason I listened to him as Chernobyl cleanup guy. But, like, that's crazy that that kind of details in the movie. Just saying. Yeah. Uh, at one hour and 40 minutes long, this was the longest stop motion film until Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio in 2022, which runs for an hour and 57 minutes. I have not seen that, so I can't speak on that one. Yeah. I have I have heard this, though. This is another thing, uh, talking about Disney and their shit translations from animated to live action. Uh, by all accounts, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is heads and, you know, above, uh, heads and shoulders above anything or the, uh, that Disney movie that came out with, uh, I believe, Tom Hanks as in the newest Pinocchio. They released uh, Disney Plus. So okay. if, if you're going to watch a new Pinocchio, watch Guillermo. Okay. It's, uh, better. Uh, the first stop motion animated film to be shot entirely in 3D, and yeah. the 3D is amazing in it. Uh, in the initial recording session, Don French played the role of Miss Spink, and just like I said, Jennifer Saunders played Miss Forcible. 
Uh, Selleck wasn't satisfied with the results, so he had them switch roles and re-record their parts. Wow. These sound recordings were used in the film, which might explain why the characters resemble the actress uh, uh, who did not provide the voice. Yeah. So you know, so he, they did base the character designs on the actors themselves, but th- those particular ones he swapped around because he liked them better the other way. And by the way, this movie had absolutely no goddamn reason for having forcible in pasties and a thong. Oh my God. When it got to that scene, I was like, Oh shit. I forgot. I mean, she's literally letting it all hang out. Well, and then the first part of that play that Coraline sees, which is in the other world, uh, Caroline, Caroline, Coraline goes to, that's what, the, that's what spanking forceful caller is Caroline. Caroline, anyway, I know. Well, everyone calls her Caroline. Uh, is she, is, for a spank, when she first shows up, is wearing a bustier and a mermaid tail. She's in a mermaid tail. And Caroline's like, oh, my God, she's practically naked. And her and mm-hmm. YB have a little giggle. And then Titties McGee comes out forcible. Uh, her titties are forced to be reckoned with. They are ginormous. They're hanging out. She she's a big woman in a tiny thong, and her boobies hanging out, and they're bouncing and everything. And I'm like, this film had no reason. Listen, this isn't a slasher movie, so we're not giving it best boobs. But if we were, if we were, it was forcible. I mean, you know, the, the, yeah, forcible's uh, big old you know titties would definitely be up there because uh, they were way bigger than they needed to be for this movie. Oh my god! And, and it's the funny a kids thing is, film. whenever. And the funny thing is, whenever they change back to their previous, like, you know, younger selves, like, during that same performance, neither one of them were that well endowed. Like, no. what, did, did they get, like, implants later on? That's what it kind of hits at, but you don't really, like, you know, get that it from, or, I mean, I know that you, that they get bigger the more yeah. weight you put on. But they but held that, up real good, though. Yeah, they, I, I, I think there was a hint there that they got some implants at some point in their lives. Yeah, like, saying. um, Spink, I think, might have been more natural, because she wasn't, she was a big woman, and I think hers kind of fit the body. Yeah. Um, but forcible, she forcibled some plastic into her. <laughs> Um, for sure. And they, they, like I said, cause they, they moved, but they didn't move that much and they didn't sag. And no, for- they, I mean, you're talking about an old lady and they yes. should have been sagging wrinkled. They were not. No. Not they, at all. No. So, and I know it's, it's a, it's, it's a kid's film and I know they're in the other world where things are supposed to be a little bit more perfect, but her body wasn't perfect, you know, by any means. I think no. they represented women's bodies pretty well. If you, if you ask me. You know, I mean, yeah, even if you talk about the other mother, I mean, she had an ass for days, Mm -hmm. but like she didn't really have boobs, which Mm -mm. I'm like, okay, you know, that's that's a reasonable representation. I mean, that that, you know, that can happen. You can't always get TNA, not without paying for one of them, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So I, I just it just kills me that this was in this film. And most of the time, my kids didn't even notice it. They just slip it in there. And then the girls, when when it when they. They unzip these bodies, the old lady bodies get unzipped, and then the two younger versions of them come out, and they are completely covered. They're wearing, like, long john underwear. Uh, yeah, which is probably what they looked like back in their early burlesque days because, I mean, you know, they could get by with less back in, you know, when you think about their youth. So, I mean, it, it makes sense, I mean, that they would be more covered for, you know, yes. their earlier lives. 
but and if I'm sitting there thinking, if anybody out there starts noticing this stuff more and it ruins your experience during Coraline, A, it shouldn't, and B, what were you, I mean, how are you avoiding seeing this shit? Like, you yeah. know, I mean, I, I just don't, if you're an adult and you don't notice it, you're blind. I don't know what to tell you, but anyway. Oh my, and then you're just sitting here laughing like a child. I don't even know how. I know my hubby just downloaded it for our daughter at some point thinking, I don't know what he thought of this movie. I don't know what he had heard or whatnot, but we just one day had this movie and it became a classic in our house. So, and I just know that my daughter was like one or two years old watching titties bounce on a screen. So, you know, since you mentioned how you got into this movie, I'll say how I got <clears> into it. It, I literally wasn't going to watch this movie at all whenever it first came <laughs> out. And I, you know, I was, um, you know, I, however many years, how many years ago now was that? 2009. 2009 yeah. I mean, I was in my phase of like horror snob a little bit at that time oh. in my twenties. And uh, I saw this and I'm like, eh, I watched, I like nightmare. I don't need this shit. You know, it's a little about a little girl who cares. Yeah. And my wife was like, I think it looks cool. We're going to go watch this. I'm <laughs> like, all right, fine. You know? And I started watching. I'm like, that's, pretty damn good movie you know i I agree with you so actually if it wasn't for my wife i probably wouldn't have never gave this the time of day Uh, same if if it weren't for the hubs just saying (laughs) hey we own this movie now and it's like i guess we own this movie now and the kids fucking loving it and me watching it being absolutely horrified by the way that my young children well my son wasn't even born i don't think he might have been by the time so he was a baby baby by the time my daughter started watching this um but holy crap, being absolutely horrified, what, what the fuck is this? He's like, and they're just like, Coraline, like, no big deal. No big deal. Do, do you fucking see what's happening right now? I know it's not a horror horror, but the horror that lurks in this movie is terrifying. Yeah, I, the thing is, is that like the true horror of the movie, like the neglected child and stuff like that, at least in the real world sense, I don't think kids get. I no, I yeah. Mean, they they, well, they do. I mean, they, they get to sit because they, they know what it's like to be ignored by their parents, but I don't think they realize how dark that is until later whenever they become parents, yeah. you know, and then they realize what's happening to the child. Uh, it, it's just, uh, it's, kids only get the superficial threat that kids always get, which is there's a monster that is trying to hurt me, you yes. know, and then. And and when you get adult, become an adult, that's why this movie is good. It ages with the, the audience. You start seeing the other evils in the movie that are like under the surface that only adults with our you know like that we're like oh shit you know parents that don't pay attention. The parents are like broke, so I mean there's that you know that real world you know shit that you got to deal with. Like all this anxiety that you deal with as an adult that you never have as the kid starts showing itself in the movie the lo- the more you watch it. So. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Caroline, Neil Gaiman <laughs> was topping the name Caroline, but he made a mistake and it came out Coraline. Gaiman says, I looked at the word Coraline and knew it was someone's name. I wanted to know what happened to her, which inspired him to write the novel on which this was based. So the dude was literally typing another story, misspelled Caroline, and was like, you know what? I'm writing a book about Coraline since I wrote that name out. Which is so funny because I'm looking at the keyboard right now and I'm like, there's no way you accidentally typed Coraline. Or, yeah, <laughs> A is on the opposite end of the keyboard than the O is. I'm not saying if, that if, it's if not he, possible. If he was typing really quick, which yeah. I'm sure he does because he churns out a lot of stuff, Yeah, then that's how it happens. Possibly. You know? And granted, he was, well, at the time, 
uh, he wrote it for his daughter, but it doesn't mean it was based on his daughter, obviously. It was like something I want her to have something to read, kind of write this book for her. Uh, speaking of that, too, whenever I made up the, the notes for this, uh, the autocorrect repeatedly told me that Coraline was not a word. And did you mean Caroline? That's hella like, funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, ignore, ignore, ignore. So there you go. Uh, the two members of the Ramped Brothers Moving Company that moves Coraline's family into their home are named for brothers Jerome and Joe Ramped. Uh, both brothers did work on The Nightmare Before Christmas with the director, Henry Selick. The mover at the front door who was given the dollar tip is modeled after Joe. So That's hella go. funny. Uh, Neil Gaiman has said that out of all the film and television adaptations of his books, Coraline is his favorite. Now, I don't know if this still stands given the fact that he was directly involved in the Sandman project that was on Netflix, mm -hmm. but I would think, I would think it still does because um, even if he's got a soft spot for the Sandman that he overly woke up for no, I mean, let, let's, I'm just going to put it out there. Sandman, I mean, Neil Gaiman's always got progressive, you know, stuff in his books. Yeah. And Sandman for its time, you know, 90s, you know, it, it was very progressive. But he decided that it wasn't progressive enough, and he, he overly progressified it, you know, woke it up for, you know, Netflix, and it, and it ruined the story to a certain degree for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, Coraline's perfect in the sense that it's got, it's got some of that stuff maybe in there if you want to go that route, but it's a classic story that doesn't like, uh, other than the fact there's a flip phone in it doesn't really like and the and the technology of the dad's computer doesn't really tie oh, to yeah. any time period. Like I mean it's it's a classic in the sense that it's timeless, you know, in the yeah. setting that, that they're in. Um yeah. the film Coraline was shot over the course of uh, eighteen months following two years of pre production. So uh, and then you said they worked on it even longer than that, really, when it, yeah. all, it was said and done. They count it from the time that Neil Gaiman or Gaiman was like, I want this turned into a movie and tried for years, I think a year or two before he could even get someone to say yes. Um, but it wasn't so much getting because Henry Selick was on board. He was like, I want you to do this. Obviously, you did Nightmare, blah, blah, blah. But getting a studio that would do it and... So, I mean, all those years of him trying to get it produced, and then whenever they did start making it, I mean, you're talking almost four years, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to get this right. So that's a lot of work. Yes. That's the reason they don't really want to dive into a sequel, really. Good God. I don't blame them. They said it just took them too goddamn long. Like, even when my kids went to this special viewing, um, I guess it was shown on screen, Will there be a Coraline too? And they're like, we're thinking we're not going to do this. It just took so long to perfect this, you know? And, you know, I mean, it's a story that doesn't need, I mean, there's so many stories out there that don't need sequels that when they get them, it, it almost ruins the original movie that I don't, I think they'd be better off avoiding it. To yeah. be perfectly honest with you. I agree. I, I, I don't want, I, as a, amazing as Coraline was, I'll just rewatch it again. I don't think that, I don't think they should be doing that. They, they could potentially ruin it. The only story that, I mean, uh, one of the stories that I read, and, and it's only a sequel in the sense that the main character repeats between the two of them, and I would love if they ever get this made, and I hope Mike Flanagan does it because he's a big Stephen King person, is uh, there's, a, there's a fantasy novel that Stephen King did with Peter Straub, which is called The Talisman. And, it, and just like Coraline, it takes place in another 
fantasy world. Like there's a main world where the main kid's mom is dying of cancer and they're in this house like that's by the ocean or whatever. And he's just watching his mom like basically rot away from the cancer. And he goes into this alternate reality where the prince or the queen is dying of a mysterious illness. And she just happens to be the, the exact, physical replica of it. It's almost like Coraline in, this, in yeah. that sense that, you know, he's in this fantasy world where his mother's dying in that world, but he has a chance to save her in that world. Yeah. And it's a great story and there's like all this stuff in it. And it's one of the best Stephen King ever did. Of course he had help from Peter Straub, but they made a sequel to it called uh, black house, which is many years later. And they took the main character, um, um, and I'm, I'm blanking on his name. It's Sawyer. It's I don't I don't want to say it's Jack Sawyer's the main protagonist. He was a kid in the first m- uh, book, but then he's like an adult who's like actually like an investigator, like a you know like a detective in the in Black House, which is the newest one. But that's one of those stories where like they they took a perfect original story and they actually figured out a way to work it into a sequel. But they but it had all those years between where the character could grow up and become something different. Yeah. And so a lot of the times whenever you make these sequels where the main character is you know the the one that you had at the beginning and then you know like you know like say Coraline if they if if the sequel is her just like a couple years removed from this one. I don't, I mean, they're either going to end up repeating themselves or there's going to be a little bit of the magic loss there. So oh, yeah. I, I just don't, I don't see it happening. So there is a uh, theories that Coraline could potentially be the next other mother. That's, that's an interesting yeah. idea. Uh, I'll go into that more towards the end. Okay. So the model of the other, of the father himself, the regular father was based on Ted Ramey. Um, that's it. Cause I mean, John Hodgman, uh, is, is, you know, he's kind of, he, he wears glasses just yeah. like the, the father does, but he's kind of heavy set. This, that does kind of strike me is that, that the father does have a Ted Ramey appearance. To yeah. I agree bit, with that. You see that, uh, the other mother is always humming one of the soundtrack songs while she cooks. Oh shit. Um, that's, it's, that's the neat little thing they put Creepy. in there. At one point in the movie, Coraline shows 16 different expressions in the span of 35 seconds. Fuck off. That must have been so tedious. Uh, Facial combinations consist of 3D printed prototypes. New technology enabled a prototype to be modeled by computer, which was then hand-painted by the modeling department. Each jaw replacement was clipped between uh, Coraline's eyes, resulting in a visible line, which was later digitally (gasps) removed frame by frame. I wonder how they did that. There were a total of 207,336 possible face combinations for the character. <laughs> I saw those other halves of the faces made. Uh, just They had just a bunch of them, and I was like, how did they get that on there without the line showing, you know? Yeah, so th- that's, where, that's where the computer technology helped them over, you know, what they could get done in Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay. Um, Fucking flawless, though. The other thing is, too, is the reason I say that, you know, for all the praise that people give Mad God, a lot of the characters in that have, like, gas masks on, because, like I said, it's like a hellscape World War II. You don't have to worry as much about facial expressions. So, I mean, Coraline still has the edge when it comes to that. Yeah. Uh, the film, this film marks the first time that a stop motion animated morphing sequence was ever, uh, accomplished. Uh, this sequence runs for 130 frames or nearly six seconds. So, and that's where the other mother, you know, morphs into yeah. the, uh, the bell dam at that point. Cut uh, one of the, 
one of the scenes in the other mother's world takes place. All of the scenes of the, in the other mother's world take place at night, even when Coraline visits during the daytime, like I said. So, uh, near the end of the film, Coraline's father is seen re, uh, reenacting the famous face hugger scene from aliens using Coraline's stuff. Oh yeah. (laughs) Or from alien, I should say not aliens. Uh, the depth of the old well calculated from Coraline's pebble drop. And I, God bless you, internet nerds, for figuring <laughs> this out. It's 116.8 meters or thir- 381 feet. Somebody sat there and figured this up based upon the sound and, you know, and the velocity uh, that's given in the movie. I don't know what, why you have this free time. Yeah. Thank you, I guess. For I hope that. you have a wife. <laughs> they probably don't. No, oh, my God. Uh, the painting in the living room that Coraline calls boring and that changes from the real world to the other world looks suspiciously like the work of artist Mark Ryden, who is known for bizarre imagery involving uh, children. So, oh, yeah. Isn't there a lot of controversy around that one? I'll have to look into that later. Probably. Yeah. Uh, many people have tried to decipher the meanings behind the lyrics of the haunting soundtrack to Coraline. In truth, although it sounds like some strange language or French, which is also strange strange language uh it is a lot of gibberish words that mean nothing so there you go it makes sense when i was looking for lyrics why i didn't find any (laughs) it makes total sense in that sense uh when Coraline sees her friends in her photo from michigan she exclaims my best trolls uh the word troll is a common michigan nickname for someone who lives in the lower peninsula so there you go uh, for the character of Coraline, there were 28 different puppets of varying sizes. The main Coraline puppet stands nine and a half inches high. So that's, yeah. that's a pretty big puppet. I mean, yeah. like you said, I mean, they had big uh, backgrounds that they had these puppets in. So, And she's not even the tallest character in the film. No, she's not. Uh, Babinski might be. Yeah. Well, no, I would take or, the other mother when yeah. she turns into Dam would be the tallest. Um, but you got to think, I mean, to get that level of detail that they have in the images, they got to have bigger stuff. Cause you can't get that. The smaller you go, the less detail you can put in. Yeah. So they had to have it a certain size to get all of that texture into the, the scene. Well, and then to be able to move the character, how they need to at the level, they had the tables or the, you know, sets put at. So that way it's more comfortable because if you're like one second, one movement, next second, another movement, next, and that's how you're doing this for a film that's an hour and 40 minutes long, it's going to be a long, you, you got you got some work set for you, you know? <laughs> you got a long, boring, just move, click, move, yeah. click, move, click. Uh, 1,300 square feet of fake fur was applied to stand in for live and or dead grass in this movie. D- yeah, Jesus Christ. Th- 1,300 square feet of fake fur. That's a fucking million-dollar home in California. (laughs) Uh, When Coraline first has dinner at her other mother's house and suggests playing hide-and-seek in the rain, lightning strikes. Through the window, a lightning bolt in the shape of the Bell Dam's true hand is visible. A little while later, when Coraline first goes to the actress's apartment, they read her tea leaves and see the hand once again. Yes. Miss Spink states that the hand means danger in the the film. Yeah, I I love those details in this film. Uh, a little bit of sound stuff. I mean, giving it credit for that. When that thunder hits, that, I mean, if you got a good sound system, mm-hmm. that thunder really makes a sound. Oh so, yeah. And I mean, I know this is dating our review slightly, but I just watched the void, the voyage of the Demeter that just came out in theaters, which is the Dracula story about uh, the ship that transported him from Transylvania to uh, yeah to England. 
you need to watch this in a theater. Okay. And the reason I say that is when that thunder and the, cause there's a lot of rainy, you know, yeah. uh, stormy scenes when that thunder is like hitting, I mean, it's shaking the entire theater. It really adds to that movie a lot. I so. don't know how people are saying that this can't be a great story. There is a very short scene in Bram Stoker's Dracula where you see them get him, get shipped off and, Everyone on the ship dies. It's very short. It's maybe a minute, two minutes tops worth of a scene that they added in. And I always wanted to know what happened. Well, it's it's dumb. it's a dumb statement for people to make because it's the perfect movie to make. I mean, every, even if you read the novel, it's I mean, it's just like they present in the movie where the guy, the the constable who first you know tells or goes to investigate the scene discovers the captain's log, and that's how you get the background on what happened on the ship. Yeah, it's all it's like a very short section of the novel, barely takes up any time, and it's like I mean, and literally the way the book handles it is like you know. Dracula's transported. There's that little scene that kind of describes what the state of the ship was. And then we move on and we start dealing with, you know, Helsing and the rest of it. Filling in that horrendous, uh, you know, uh, you know, scene for the crew of that ship is like the kind of movie that you want to make. Cause you get to, you got the parameters of the story, you know, set out for you. You you know, where it begins, you know, where it ends, but you get all the luxury in the world to figure out how it goes. in in between. Exactly. you, there's so much, and you got to remember back then, a, 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 not a cruise, but like a voyage by ship took weeks, months. So there's a lot that can be done in that amount of time. Yeah, it's, I think it's a brilliant idea for a movie and they, it's, it's actually really well done. So I recommend people watch it, but that's neither here nor there. I'm just saying. Uh, anyways, the lightning, the lightning and thunder was, I mean, the thunder in this is another good sound design yeah. in the movie. Uh, when Coraline and other Wybie go to see Other Spink and Other Forcible's performance, Other Spink's segment is based on Book 12 of The Odyssey when they encounter the sirens. Her backdrop is an image of the ship with Odysseus and his men. His men plugged their ears with beeswax so they would row and work without being lured by the siren song while Odysseus commanded that they tie him to the mast but allow him to hear. Oh, my God. Uh, pr- appropriately, while Other Spink performs, Odysseus' eyes follow her. At the end, when other Spink and other Forcible crash into each other, he rolls his eyes before the backdrop collapses. That is a detail that is friggin' insane that they put into this movie. Yeah, I didn't notice that at all. You'll never notice it unless you're looking for it. Like, yeah. it's just there. And and something else, another texture thing about the movie. I love how that looks like a real play, like a, yes. a backdrop in a play. Like, I mean, it looks like somebody, which they probably did, hand-painted it, and they're moving it along like you would see if you were watching a play in person. You well, know? clearly, Reverend, if you're paying attention, it was all the good boys in the film <laughs> that were ro- rolling the, the wheel to get those to move. Um, and yeah. they were doing their damn best, so I don't want to hear anything about when it crashed down later. What kind of what kind of dog is it in this movie again? Oh I can't... God, it's some kind of terrier. Uh, I don't know if it's a Boston. No, it's not a Boston terrier. Um, and it's not of... a rat terrier because they they don't look exactly like that. But you're right, it's some kind of terrier. Uh, hold on, I'm getting it right now. God, black shaggy terrier. But okay, well, anyways, move forward. Uh, Mrs. Spinks and Mrs. Forcible's doormat says no whistling in the house. This is <laughs> yes. appropriate for the actresses as whistling in a theater is considered bad luck. Oh, I did not know that. I thought it was because of the dogs. 
nope, uh, you, you said that their house is a, or their, you know, apartment is a theater or that's what it's imitating. Well, they, they live in a theater, so don't whistle in there. It's bad luck. There you go. Oh, my God. Okay, hold on. I'm, uh, I'm almost at this point where I'm finding this dog. Uh, Scottish Terrier. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, that, <clears> I was <throat> I was blanking on what type, but that, that is what it is. Okay. Yep. Uh, when Miss Spink and Miss Forcible are introduced, we see framed placards for the two that show uh, for shows that they were in. The titles are Julius Sees Her ah! <laughs> and, he, and King Lear, meaning, you know, to leer at somebody. Both yeah. spoofs of Shakespearean titles uh, with appropriate pictures that indicate they were likely burlesque actresses, which, I mean, if you watch the movie and you have any kind of, you know, like if you're an adult, you it's like, yeah, they, they were out there with them boobies shaking and, you know, bending over quite a bit and you know that's you know doing their thing as burlesque actresses well and they're always wearing corsets still and everything like they still have the vibe going you know it kind of makes sense i mean the only modern burlesque uh actress that i can really think of is that uh colby or or denise or i can't remember her name it's like denise colby cushman or or something like that the the lady that's on american pickers that's like their you know like the tattooed you know uh you know she's not bad looking at least in the first seasons yeah lady who's uh like you know over you know like the purchases and stuff she's uh she's actually a burlesque actress and you know in addition to doing that for you know the american pickers and she's all about that life like you know oh, any yeah. kind of her so her social media is just her and like the burlesque outfits like 24 7 oh, dita so von who's in her 50s now looking like she's a vampire uh <laughs> didn't she always look like a vampire though uh, she did but obviously yeah she's 80 yeah she's 50 years old and the bitch does not look 50 years old nor does she look like she's had any work done because the shape of her face has changed as it does as we get older uh she's still looking fucking youthful and gorgeous though uh, that was Danielle Kobe Cushman that I was thinking of. And then she's Dan- Danielle Kobe now. She's apparently got divorced since then. So there you yeah. go. Uh, the crew, uh, or well, in a shot of Coraline on her parents' bed, there is a photo of her and them together in which her hair is brown rather than her usual blue, implying that the character of Coraline has dyed her hair that color. Wait, what? Um, Coraline, there's a picture oh, of Coraline yeah. with brown hair. So she's, uh, blue hair is like, you know, her... Okay. Trying, you know, trying that to makes, stand out. That makes sense. Okay. Uh, the crew spent 800 hours painting 250,000 pieces of popcorn pink on the outside, red on the kernel to stand in as blossoms for the nearly 70 trees. Fucking genius. Who who did that? Who was like, how are we going to make this blossoms? And someone was like, popcorn. They ha- Someone had a meeting. They had a meeting. Uh, just look at the numbers, though. 800 hours. And 250,000 pieces to make that. Oh, my like, God. I mean, it's it's truly a labor of love for this movie. Okay. I mean, think of how much longer it would have been if they had handmade the pieces, not just hand-painted popcorn. It would have been that much worse. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they got to have some kind of, you know, shortcut to get some of this stuff. 100%. And I think it's genius. I mean, like I'm not talking shit at all. I'm like, wow, that's fucking impressive. Uh, of all the prominent plants seen in the other mother's beautiful garden are the same. Uh, all of them are the same as the seed packets. that Coraline has a line in the real world windowsill near the beginning of the movie, uh, where she tells her mother that she wants things growing when her friends comes to visit. Aww. So another little, you know, 
thing that you won't really notice. So just realize that whenever you see the other mother's garden, it's everything Coraline wants in the garden. Yes. Also, uh, because obviously, by the way, all these things can be seen through the eyes of the doll. We have not mentioned that yet. She gets that doll, and the the other mother, that's how she spies on the children, is through the eyes of the doll. That, that is true, yeah. And she, she and, has a doll for the parents that's been hid in the house that nobody knows about yeah. until the end of the movie. Um, And she even said the eyes are the window to the soul. So, <laughs> which, which makes you think if she's got a version of the the neighbors and YB, then then they have dolls somewhere in their apartments as well. Quite possibly. Well, the, the grandma has a bunch of dolls, but I think the grandma kind of kept them locked away. Allegedly. Yeah. So, but as we've seen in the real world, the Coraline doll moves on its own. Like, you don't see it move on its own. You just see it in a different spot. Yeah, it's kind of got that uh, Chucky before he does that great scene where he's, like, cursing and screaming and biting. You know, it's moving a little bit, and you're like, wasn't that doll just yeah, over there saying on the table ago? or whatever? Uh, I wanted to point out very briefly how the mom and the dad, well, the mom's an editor, the dad is writing the book. He's writing a book on gardening. Neither one of them garden. <laughs> they keep talking about how they're going to someday, yes. but they, they they haven't. So they're writing this expert book on gardening, and neither one of them. Not a but, day but in their how, life. But how realistic is that? I mean, oh, like yeah. that's, there's like those self-help books, like that one guy that talked about nagging as it's, you know, like when he walking up to a woman and giving and like saying something negative about her in order to like stand out. Cause you know, like his theory was that women get compliments to the point that they become numb to it. So when you give them a, like a negative statement, it forces them to turn around like, what the fuck did you just yeah. say? You know, like that guy apparently had no game with women and he came out with that book and like became like the, yeah. you know, the biggest thing ever because of it. That's so it's one of those things. Uh, Coraline's other father wears monkey slippers that resemble monkey bone from yeah. 2001. Also directed by Henry Selick. Monkey bones, a weird fucking movie. Yes. Like it, I, I do not care for that movie, but I couldn't get into it. So I'm glad you said that. Uh, it's one of Brendan Fraser's like worst movies. Like it just really is. Anyways, Coraline has been made into a stage musical produced by MCC theater in New York with music and lyrics by Stephen Merritt of the magnetic fields. Uh, that would be cool to see. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, Beetlejuice has also got like a, Oh uh, yeah. Uh, that kind of a play. So anyways, uh, the original sweater, the design team had designed for Coraline's father sported a big maize and blue university of Michigan logo. However, producer bill uh, mechanic decided to change the uh, design in favor of his alma mater, Michigan state. Makes sense. Uh, when Coraline returns to the other world on the second night, she finds the other mother cooking dinner breakfast. The other mother cracks an egg and the oak is the head of Jack <gasps> Skellington from the Nightmare Before Christmas, which Henry Selick also directed. I did not fucking notice that. I tried looking for it and I forgot that it was the cooking scene. I kept thinking it was like when she's like washing the dishes, not realizing that that's, you know, that that was just her humming a tune at that point. Yeah. So I need to go back and read and, and see that. Um, he also, if, if, if we mentioned this during Beetlejuice, but their Jack Skellington's skull actually it may is they're a precursor to him appears in Beetlejuice whenever that uh, carnival, uh, whenever Beetlejuice comes like into reality and he's like that carnival play or you know game or whatever that the two uh, uh, 
people from New York decide to play or whatever yeah. and get slammed through the ceiling, the very first thing you see is a skull that ends up being Jack Skellington, you know, later on. So he's been in numerous films that are not technically Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay, I just sent it in the general death holler. Uh, at different points in the film, Coraline is seen wearing a black baker boy hat with a symbol of a lotus flower on the front. In Greek mythology, the lotus eaters were a group of people that lived on an island dominated by a lotus tree. When the inhabitants ate lotuses, they would completely forget their home and loved ones and want only to stay <gasps> with their fellow lotus eaters, a theme which the plot of the movie was built upon. What the fuck? Everything has a purpose. Holy shit. I mean, that's that's how you do it. That is that is how you do that type of thing. Uh, the Pink Palace's address bears the same numbers as the nondescript warehouse where the film was produced. Yeah. Leica. <laughs> and it's it, you can Google it now. It's, it's Leica's address, which is fucking uh, funny. All right. Now, what are these other theories? Because that's through the... I, I've got all the trivia out of the way. What are these other theories that you've heard about? Okay. So, a couple theories specifically about the cat. Uh, the theory started out that the cat, there was actually two cats, a good cat and a bad cat. And the good cat was the one that couldn't talk. And the bad cat was, uh, and I think the good cat's name is Vermin because that's what the other mother calls it. And then the bad cat is the one that can talk. And the theory is that the bad cat is one of the children or, or the child, the son of the other mother. And that he helps her lure people into the other world because he got allegedly trapped in the other world or he got put into the other world. And so she took herself to the other world through the well. She found a way through the well to get to the world, to be with her son. And in order for her to, she's using witchy powers to kind of keep herself alive via souls of other children so he helps her lure other kids that's kind of a little bit of a far-fetched theory that's yeah, out there that, that sounds like the uh, windy theory although i love that theory of the shining where windy is the crazy person yeah you know that that's what that sounds like it's plausible but it's probably not the likely explanation yeah no. um then the theory moves on that it's, it's only one cat but that it gets possessed by another spirit of sorts because you could see a couple times in the movie, like, for instance, when he leaves the the real world with Coraline into the throat or the tube and you see his head shake and all of a sudden he's talking. And the theory is that their job is to trick Coraline. Not so much. She has to choose to be there and they have to do it by breaking down her spirit. Okay. So... And that's that's in the movie. That's not just a theory. That that is a legit thing. Is that she has to choose to be there? Um, and Which in the movie, the the way I view it is they're trying to entice her with mm-hmm. you know like making the world uh, the version or the th- everything she wants. Yes, is is what the other world is. Yeah. You know? So by breaking down her 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 trust in the real world, she's going to choose to want to be in the other world. Uh, and so their entire, the other mother specifically, their job is to trick her. So when the cat is able to talk, when he's possessed by either the bad spirit or, you know, the child of the beldam or whatever, it's, even though it's quotation mark helping her, their goal and the, the end game is to trick her. Um, even when the beldam opens the door, 
knowing Coraline's probably going to escape through there, there's theorizing that it's part of the plan because it's not officially over. They just have to find another way to get to her. Because at the end of the movie, you got to remember that world only exists because the Beldum is alive. And clearly the hand tries to get Coraline. YB kills the hand at the end of the movie. Sorry, guys. Spoiler alerts. <laughs> and the key, which you see a few times the cat's trying to stop Coraline from getting rid of it or whatever. But she throws it down the well, which is a portal, by the way, to the other world. So the other mother has the key now. So she now eventually she can get back to Coraline or at Coraline. That's the theory. And the reason why you know this is because the other world still exists because we could see the cat do teleport. He still has access to the other world. She's still alive. That, that, well, that, that is true because they do show that scene where he teleports away at the end. So. And it's not so much a theory because if you think about it, when they're in the starry, starry night dream, the kids still tell her she's still in danger and that it's not over. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any problem with that. I, I feel yeah. like giving the cat, like, you know, this evil intent, or at least, you know, unintentionally evil intent whenever he's in the other world, I feel like that's a little far-fetched because it seems like he's the trickster that's working against the, the Bell yes, Dam to me. it really does, because I watched it again, and I'm like, I don't know. I just feel like he's working more against her than he is working with her. But then I can understand what they're saying, and they're like, well, yeah, he's got to get her to believe that he's helping her so that she opens up trust to him. Okay, mm. great. One of the theories is that the good version of the cat is the is the. Dad, okay, so he's uh, Lovato. Is that not Lovato? Lovat or Lavar? What's the? Are you talking about like the YB's people or yes. whatever? Is that what you're talking about? They they're uh, thinking that it's grandpa. Uh, it's a uh, YB's great grandpa. They're saying Lovat. Yes, Lovat. he's the uh, father to the grandma, the one who lost her twin sister. So he lost one of his daughters to this house. So they think. The good spirit of that cat, or the cat in general, kind of like uh, Thackeray Binks came back to save his sister. They're theorizing that Lavat came back to protect YB, which is why he's always around YB, and also prevent any kids from getting caught by the Beldum. That, to me, is more realistic. That, I like that theory a lot mm -hmm. better. That, that fits the movie as it as I watch it. And yeah. they're saying a lot of people are theorizing that the voice is the voice of Mr. Lavat you know, in his real life. That um, would make sense too, because Keith David's obviously African-American that mm -hmm. would, you know, play into the fact that, that would be his daughter, you know? Yes. Um, um, which is funny because there's a deleted scene that the kids saw in which they ask, uh, Coraline asked YB if his grandma's black. She, and in the movie, when they show her, I don't get to, she, if she's like half black. Yeah. She's, clearly she's got more color, you know, that you know are darker in tone than like everybody else in the movie that's like a white person but yeah. like she's not like she's not like the cat and you know like very dark skinned or anything like yes. there's a there's a difference there absolutely so uh and the kids were laughing about that and i was like i don't think that was meant to be anything racist i think there was a reason behind that because Coraline obviously sees one of the ghosts one of the ghosts is colored I mean, maybe not really their ghost, but, you know, it's intention or it's you you can tell it's implied. And so I wonder if that's why she was asking the question. Now, they removed it from the movie for probably obvious reasons that it wouldn't be. I guess back. Well, yeah, it could have been insensitive back then. 2009. It 
it wasn't as I mean the craziness with the I mean and people can get mad at this term it it is what it is now the the movement whatever it started as has been hijacked by you know crazy people and went to way too far to the other side to the point that it's actually racist but the woke movement didn't really start until like I want to say 2016 2017 when it okay. first started off and then after that it's just got progressively more uh, ferocious, demented, however you want to say it. Cause I mean, they, they start out with the intention of trying to get more inclusivity and all that, which is not bad. That's not yeah. a bad goal, but they took it to the point of like, well, if your movie is all about white people, even though it's set like say in Britain during world war two, if you don't include so many people of a different race, uh, a, you're not going to get to be a, you know, the best Oscar, you know, picture, uh, we're going to, you know, uh, knock you out from all kinds of other things. I feel like that's taking it too far. That's limiting creativity to enforce inclusivity at that point. Yeah. The inclusivity should be, you know, uh, hand in hand with creativity. If you're going to make a good product and not you know, the other way around. So exactly. So, yeah, so the theory keeps going on. Obviously, we've talked about the good cat, the bad cat, uh, Mr. Lavat being the spirit in the spirit of the cat, uh, because that is an old lore that, you know, cats are, if you will, um, like, um, oh, God, what is that called when you have a, almost like a spirit animal? Um, a familiar. A familiar. Yeah. yeah. So basically it would make sense that, you know, he would take on the form of something like that that can survive through the years, etc. Okay, so we've gotten through what the cat may or may not be, who the cat may or may not be. The fact that if there is a bad version of the cat that is tricking Coraline, the cat that can go in and out of the universe, etc., is that the Coraline being in such danger is because now the Beldum has that key. We talked about the key going down the well. She can rebuild herself again. She can rebuild that world potentially but that Coraline is going to be the next version of her. And that's why Coraline is in danger. Not because she's going to be kidnapped, but that the Beldum doesn't want to be the Beldum forever. It's a lot of work. Eventually, someone else is going to have to take the reins. And so that's another theory that's out there, too, is that Coraline could be. And I think it is something that Henry Salick had mentioned, but not to, I, it doesn't sound like anything that, in, that no one's going to make progress or movement on. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I can't see that being the case. Mm-hmm. I mean, but at the same time, it's it's not like a, I mean, it's not an automatic. Like, you watch the movie and you it's an assumption you make. It's like, oh, yeah, clearly she's going to be the other mother. No, not at all. To be. I mean, you, you it could go that way, but it, it's not like something that you're led into believing you yeah. know, completely from the movie. The whole theory is that everything was a trick uh, led up to where it's at now because they tricked her into thinking, oh, blah, blah, blah. But they also tricked her into thinking she got away and that everything's good. She thinks that things are good. And at the end of the movie, when they're doing the garden, the garden is in the face of the Beldum versus in the other world, the garden is in the face of Coraline. So it's, I didn't pay. I didn't pay attention to that. That might oh. be. That's. Does it actually make the face? Yes. I mean, uh, it does. Okay. It's in the that's face of in, the Beldum, which is weird because I didn't notice it before. I thought it was Coraline again. It's not. It is absolutely not Coraline. Um, I didn't think it was the Beldum at first. It's definitely a woman of sorts. So 
but they're basically trying to let you know she's still alive multiple ways. Obviously, we saw the hand still moving. We saw the key go down the well. We saw the cat go into the other world. And then at the very, very end, the, one of the last pans is, or one of the pans is of the Beldum's face. So one okay. way or another, regardless of which way it's supposed to go, Coraline's in trouble. That world is still active. And not only is it active, she's got the key versus she didn't have the key before. It was in the pink palace. And why would the grandma leave it there? <laughs> That's true. I mean, like if if she, if she, I mean, she was one that obviously locked it away, knew her sister had been like, you know, stolen through that, that method. Mm-hmm. Why didn't she hide it? Why didn't she try to get rid of it? Maybe she felt like it the the bell dam would reach out to whoever had the key and so she wanted to be as far away from it as possible uh and and it and her thinking was if she locked it close to the area where it would be used at but then like forbid any children from being there that was the safest it would ever be because inevitably if it was in her household with her grandchildren around yeah or if it was then it would prompt them to be like what's this key go to and you know maybe that's what her thinking was probably yeah also did you know that that apartment was one half of another part of the apartment that was sealed up uh i didn't well i didn't pay attention to that but i mean the fact that that wall was sealed Mm -hmm. off and they said that it was another room and it can't be the the forcible and spinks room because they're down below yes and it can't be uh babinski's because his is up above in the attic so you're right. There's a whole other area of that that's like closed off. Yeah. So they're they're implying that that is either potentially where the Beldum lives, which would make sense because at the beginning of the film, she's sewing in. She's clearly in a room. So and it's an old looking room with spider webs and everything. And I know she's supposed to be spider like, but this just implies that the room hasn't been quotation mark lived in probably for decades, if not longer. You know. You're saying all this stuff, and I wouldn't mind this being the case, but I feel like if they don't want to do it in the in the sense of making another like a film, they make it like a, I don't want to say necessarily which company, Netflix, you know, Paramount, whoever, yeah. it'd be a, t- a TV series. Because if it's a live-action TV series, you can give the, the, the story more room to breathe and yeah. bring out all these details. As opposed to, and even if you're going to do the sequel to it, you could do it that way. As yeah. opposed to like, you know, just doing a one-off movie. Exactly. Where you're, you're constrained to like two hours or three hours as most of these fucking movies anymore are, which is too damn long for a movie to sit down. It just is, unless it's an epic movie that deserves it. So anyways, but if you make it a TV show, 45 minutes each, you know, run it for like eight episodes, you can get the story that you need for that sort of thing. Yeah, it's definitely, in my opinion, not movie worthy. Um, And these are fan theories at the end of the day. So that you have to take it with a grain of salt. Uh, But the amount of hours people put into this, I'm like, holy crap. At least the person who did the, uh, the pebble drop into the well had some real good basis to go off of, in my opinion. I can just see somebody like a extreme fan of this, like, you know, eventually Neil Gaiman, like he's, you know, he's aged, you know, I mean, he, he's an older guy, but like, he's, you know, farther along, he's kind of given up, you know, on like writing a lot of stories, but he has one more in him. And like one of these crazy fans comes up to him. And it's like, you've got to make Coraline too. Yeah. Here's the ideas. And he looks at it and it sparks his imagination. And maybe he write co-writes with one of them. Yeah. Like, the sequel, you know, or something. Or even if it's an animated film versus a stop motion. 
Yeah, they, they could get by. Well, it'd be a lot easier to do animated film, especially if they do it with, and I sigh when I say this, computer graphics, yes. you know, instead of like hand-drawn animation, fine, you know, that would Exactly. Work. Yeah, so there there's so much more, but the cat one fucking took me out. Um, the Beldum wanting Coraline to replace her. Uh, Beldum actually being a good person and being controlled by the cat was one of them. And it, there was one scene where it shows her getting her face ripped off and behind it they zoomed in and they lightened it up and it looks like there's the face of a cat behind the Beldum, which is, again, far-fetched, but I was just dying at some of these fucking theories it, I was looking at. It, it's just funny you say that because I saw this on TikTok and it, it just one randomly popped in my for you page. Only tangentially related, but like it was one of those things where it was talking about dark uh, historical, like you know, superstitions, yeah, and stuff like that. And they were talking about the bubonic plague and how it actually was made worse because of superstition, because they thought that the black cats being linked to familiars, like you said earlier. <laughs> Uh, were spreading the plague, and so they went about uh, to eradicate black cats. <gasps> and the black cats were the ones that were actually catching the rats yes. and the fleas that were spreading the plague. So the plague got worse because they got rid of the you know the one thing keeping the rat population down. Um, if the ra- but if they were yeah the rats were spreading the fleas, but couldn't technically the cats spread them too? They can they can potentially live that way, but by them killing the the, the yeah. rats that primarily the the fleas were you know living off of, they were at least keeping it in check to yeah. a certain degree, and they just made it so much worse by killing the black cats. And so, like years later, people got to realizing the uh, you know benefits that cats, regardless if they're you know calico black whatever they are, yeah, can do as far as like keeping down pest population. And I mean, in particular, that's the reason they were brought to America is because there was rats getting off the boats in such high numbers that they were like, fuck, somebody bring some cats in here to get rid of these damn things. Yeah. That's literally why they're in this country. So, I mean, eventually we figured that out. But like, you know, for the longest time, black cats were like given this negative name just because they were linked to witches. That's the only reason. That's so funny. <laughs> so yeah that's that's it for my theory hour here but that plays into what you're saying with your theories because he's a black cat she's a witch yeah you know he's familiar for her that's what the the fan theories are hinting at yeah you know? also i mean if you're gonna go on the whole lovat theory he's a black man that inhabited a black cat and he's actually protecting which goes along with modern theory about cats being protectors yes more than they are, so yeah. I, I still prefer him being the low vat. I know, think that is ancestor. way more believable um, because there's only so much he can do, you know, um, the limits. So in terms of tricking, it just seems so much more far-fetched. There was, it felt like there was more helping than there was, you know, anything yeah, else. I, I don't, I, I, I just don't get the trickery, but I mean, if you want to go that route and because, you know, people do have that thing about like, oh, you don't know cats, you know, you know, they're, they're not like dogs. They're not completely trustworthy, you know, that sort of thing. Whatever, yeah. You know? And the only time that the theory of there being two entities in one cat, meaning one takes over the other is obviously the talking. Yes. Uh, he could be tricking when he's talking, he's telling her what the Beldum likes and whatever. But at one point, like if it's switching over, say this is where the good cat takes over the scene where Coraline throws the cat at the Beldum and he freaks out, shakes his head, 
all of a sudden can't speak and it can only make cat noises and starts scratching her face rampantly and gets the fuck out of there because he didn't know where the fuck he was or how he got there. That makes sense. I, but in my mind, I can also see the other explanation for whenever he shakes his head, whenever he's traveling between worlds in the sense that like he has there's something, the, there's enough magic in the world yes. that he can find his voice. 100 percent. You know, um, he was still in that world when he attacked the Beldum, but it might have just been just enough to be. Oh, he was attacking her. She, the power wasn't there. The power's with her. She well, provides it, it the magic be, of the world. It, it could be that. It could be the fact that he was just like, you know, I mean, literally you're, you're thrown at your enemy. Like, yes. I mean, he's right there. He, you know, he's being attacked. Like he's, you know, it's him like fight or flight. Human beings don't necessarily make coherent sentences when they're in situations like That's that. That's true. So, I mean, so I, yeah, it was, I, it was fun going down that rabbit hole though, for sure. Um, all that to say, all this long time that we've been recording, we we love this movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> hands down. Watch it's, the film, rewatch the film. Yeah, it's. I mean, like I said, it, it's a movie that on paper I shouldn't like at all, but they they put so much care into it, so much detail that if you can't appreciate the artistry, at least, even if you think the story is too kitty or, you know, like just too, I mean, there's just, it, it's not my thing or whatever. That's fine. But you can at least appreciate the, the, just the artistry that was put into the movie. Uh, yes. So I want to also throw out there. So as of today, it is August 20th and I'm going to date that definitely date the podcast 2023. Um, and Coraline, the reason why we're putting this out now is that they recently came out, uh, Fathom hosted an event and Coraline did really well in a matter of two days. They made $5 million for an old film from, well, not old film, but 2009. Um, they did so well Fathom is going to be releasing another two days. It starts at eight days. Um, hold on. Let me get those dates so I can throw it out there. So for anyone listening, if they're interested, I want to say it's in America only, and I apologize. Um, it's a 14-year-old movie, by the way, while you're looking that up. Yeah. So. Um, August 28th. August 28th and August 29th of 2023. They are doing it again. Uh, are they doing it in 3D anywhere? Because ugh. if you can see in 3D, I, I tell you, please, please watch it in 3D. I'm going to go with, oh, hold on, let me see. God, I, I hope so. I'm going to check another theater near me that they're doing it, that they were not doing it at because there's one right next to my house. No, it's just XD. Um, where I'm at, but you can log on to fathom.com. We are not sponsored by them, but fathom, if you're looking to sponsor a podcast, we're looking for sponsors. Um, you can log on to fathom.com and you can enter in your uh, zip code and it'll tell you, but it looks like right now it's just like uh, an HD version of the film. I don't think it's 3d. If it isn't 3d, I will be first off. I did not, I was not able to go to this my kids were the only ones that went. I couldn't afford to go. It was just, I had passes with my Cinemark app. Cinemark, if you're looking to sponsor podcasts, we're looking for sponsors. Um, and uh, I had two free passes, so I used the passes for my kids to go and then never was able to buy my own. So I didn't get to experience it in the theater, and I'm not going to in the next couple of days. I, I just can't do it. If it comes out in 3D, the whole family's going. We'll take out a loan. Yeah, yeah, you need to. I mean, if they do offer it that way, that's that is the way to watch the movie. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, with the uh, 3D craze kind of over with, trying to be able to watch it at home in 3D is yeah. kind of uh, 
it, it's I mean you have to have a 3D TV, you have to have a 3D player, you have to have the 3D version of the movie, which they had in Blu-ray and they don't have in 4K now, so it, it's a whole thing. You know? Yeah. So good luck with that. Just gotta hope it comes out in theaters. Maybe if we just like hit up like I'm like, hey guys, we have this really awesome podcast and we would like to review it in 3D. And they'll be like, sure, just for you guys, just for Death Holler. And like, a, we're looking for sponsors for a podcast. So, you know. Yeah, we said this multiple times. Anybody wants to sponsor us, we'll be gladly uh, taking your money and shilling whatever product you have. But um, we're going to be honest. Yeah, we'll, we'll be honest. We'll, we'll say, you know, buy this item. It's not for us, but it might be for you, that sort of thing. You yeah. Know, if, it, if that's the case, but. Uh, so the other podcast, what, uh, that you do, uh, with, uh, Daphne, what, what, what's that one? Absolutely um, not. And, uh, I heard the recent one that you all did, uh, kind of gotten all kinds of topics ended on a very, very sad <laughs> note. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like that's our thing now. I feel like every podcast we've been ending on a pretty sad note or uh, yeah, but, but I mean, it, it's, uh, had a lot of good things. I especially love the, uh, the coverage of uh speaking of disney rachel zegler oh, and the, God. The, the bomb that is going to be the the live action snow white that's part of the reason why i've been on a tangent about how disney can't do live action remakes of yeah their, because the main thing is, is that disney has forgot what makes the originals classics yeah I mean, classic like, there's a there, the term is right there classic classically this is how it was if it's like if somebody was to do that, you know, sequel to Coraline or the or a remake of it, live action remake, and the main actress that you had was like, I don't really like how Dakota Fanning represented uh, Coraline, and I feel like it it just does it's not a good representation of girls and in particular women. So we're going to change all that. Coraline is going to be the boss of the situation. The other mother ain't going to be nothing. Yeah, and, the other mother's uh, actually going to help her. And are going to help her, and they're going to realize that the uh, and the dad is going to be even more emasculated than he already was in the original movie because nobody needs a fucking man. We'll get rid of Babinski too. That can be a female part. In I fact, mean, the dad might not even be in the film. It's Hollywood, baby. Yeah, I mean that's literally what Snow White's going to be like. So I mean, and I just don't. And like hearing you all talk about Rachel, you know, Zegler, which I keep wanting to call Renee Zegler, but like that's Renee Zegler yeah. I'm confusing her with. But like, I mean, in the name sense, but like it's, I just like the more that comes out about this chick, like the, I mean, you know, the worse this whole thing is. And it was just hilarious hearing your all's take on that because I've, I mean, I've heard plenty of guys make comment about her, and that's you know that's fine. But like hearing two women, like you know, yeah. you know, have their their complaints, it was, it was just it was nice to hear like the other side. So yeah, you know, the funny thing is, is now she's trying to say, why are people trying to talk about these old interviews I had? Bitch, they're not that old. They're like maybe they're December of last year. Yeah, old. I was going to Sep- say a year. Yeah, at September, best. September, October last year is literally when they were from. You yeah. Know? So, okay, so we're almost at a year. That's not old, old, okay? Maybe you think it is in terms of digital sense? In her defense, she's 20-something years old, and you know that when you're in your 20s, a year, like, mental development is, like, you know, leaps and bounds. So maybe, I I don't know. Well, clearly she didn't have a publicist, but what the fuck was the other actress? uh, Gal Gadot. Yeah, what was she wasn't helping the situation, Annie? And it's like, no respect, no regard at all. 
that I mean, this is a tangent, and I, you know, I don't want to be on your podcast and ruin the dynamic. But that's the one thing I was going to throw in there is you all said she didn't have a publicist. I've heard arguments, and I think that's right that actually she does have a publicist. Oh God! Or, and that they were the ones that fed them that lines because I mean, you know, just like Gary Beekler says in Neurotic, like a lot of these people, like these actors and actresses, they're like blank slates like yeah they, like literally that's why they can do so good acting there there's nothing there behind the eyes like you know not to mean they're idiots but like they they're so good at assuming personas in movies because they don't have like a defined personality themselves and so like when they get out there for these like you know red carpet events their publicist or whoever you know disney or their handler you know gets to them and says make sure you mention the fact that she's a girl boss and she yeah. don't need no man and that's all they parrot that's all they say your so coworker scenes that, might get cut. Yeah, and it's like, and, and make sure you mention something about if you have to wear that fucking dress that you better get paid for every hour that you wear it, you know, whatever she's saying. That's hella you know, funny. So. Yeah, they're they're taking the film down before it even gets to come out, so. Um, so if that movie, if you, you know, are, are listening to this, watching it, however, you know, and uh, whenever we re-release this again in the future when we cover this during which season, because we just determined off air, that's when we'll do yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, then, um, and, and Snow White was a smashing success for some damn reason, then I, I, A, I feel bad for you future <laughs> folks, and I hope that you, that some of you are fighting the resistance. Yeah. Uh, and B, uh, you know, it's, you know, we'll gladly, if the movie comes out and they change every, it, it's just Rachel Zegler being a dumbass and the movie has nothing to do with what they're saying. We'll gladly correct our statement on all this. Oh yeah. But, 100%. We'll own it. But the images we're seeing are part and parcel with what she says. I mean, the seven people from Seattle, Washington, <laughs> uh, that are, you know, her, uh, not even like her I don't, they phrased it where they're not even like companions they're like support people for snow white whatever they're doing in the movie they look ridiculous they she look lives like with seven people. dudes she lives with seven dudes at least with the seven dwarves it was more of a if any one of them is banging her it's more of a kink than anything but it was more likely not happening there were seven older dwarves that were extending kindness to this girl it was more believable it was almost like they were grandparents yes. to her or something. And the fact that it was, you know, she was helping them out by taking care of the, the household duties while they were away at work, you know, doing, you know, uh, mining all day like they, they were. And they were supposed to be a different, you know, species than her, in, you know. Yeah. In, in the, and what the fuck the is Rachel Zegler doing? Like, fucking girl bossing what what are you doing selling some kind of mlm while they're out working is that how you're girl bossing because that's how i know all the women that stay at home girl boss supposedly in the movie i don't know we're getting a tangent about this and and (laughs) if anybody's you know pieced out by this point hey enjoy Coraline. yeah That's, that's the whole point of this but i've heard that they have that she made a statement that her father was a general which I don't know why they introduced that, but Snow White's father was a general, so she's taking his pl- her oh. rightful place as his, you know, like heir or whatever. And I'm like, well, a you don't inherit the position of a general. That's usually a you know something you earn. And b why does she need to lead a fucking army? Yeah, like I mean, and let's like get down several- to business to defeat the Hun. Apparently, I don't know. Several people have pointed this out. They already made this movie. It's called Snow White and the Huntsman. And oh, it's Charlize yeah. Theron as the the queen. It has, a, what's her name, Kristen Stewart from Twilight. Yes. She's Snow White in that. And there's still that 
discrepancy there where Charlize Theron is clearly yes. much hotter. What is up with than, the hot you know, stepmoms being jealous of their ugly-ass stepdaughters? But whatever. I mean, if you remove that, I mean, they made Snow White like a, a girl boss, like leader of some kind of fight in that movie. So why does Disney need to remake that? I mean, that wasn't even, like, I mean, that's stupid. Whatever. But Oh, my God. <laughs> But uh, I'm sure. What's your next episode? Since we're we're covering that, and that's technically what we got off on a tangent about. Do you have anything planned for next time? We do. Yes. Uh, Daphne has some uh, things she wants to talk about. We're likely going to talk about the California hurricane, which, by the way, we're expecting a little bit of rain today, so we're excited out here. <laughs> Love a good summer rain out in California. Um, and so I'm pretty sure we'll talk about that and how all the Californians are reacting. Um. There's no in between either. Some of them are panicking, which I think it's better to be on the safe side, especially when desert in the middle or rain in the middle of the desert just means mudslide central, uh, especially out in there. Uh, And then there's the people that are just like, let's have a fucking party. Let's go to Disneyland because it's going to be empty. Yeah, I don't understand that mentality. I mean, I do for Florida because Florida sees so many hurricanes. Yeah. They're used to it. They're numb to it. I don't see, I don't understand that from California. It's like you are used to earthquakes, quote unquote, because I know you say that when it just, your butt shakes a little bit, it's, yeah. you know, but like they don't get hurricanes out there hardly ever. So I would think that they should be more on the cautious side, but whatever, people are people and that's how it is. I know so. we had a hurricane warning in 2011, I want to say, uh, 8, 9, 10, 11. No, maybe it was 2012. I'm not sure. 11 or 12, whatever. And at the time, we had a neighbor downstairs. Uh, we, had lived, we were living in an apartment and she had released cockroaches into the entire block we were living in. And uh, the apartments caught on and they're like, y'all got to bounce. You know, this is what you got to do. We need to spray. We need to end this now. And it was getting bad. And we're like, sweet, let's take a vacation. Let's go to the Bay Area. This was before it became what it is today. And we had just found out the day before there's going to be a a hurricane. And we're like, fuck, this is the Bay. Like, we could totally see that being a thing. And so the morning of, we're getting ready to leave. We ain't got nowhere to go at this point. And we're like, hey, so... What's up out there? And they're like, oh, well, we called a few businesses to see if they were open, uh, restaurants we wanted to visit and things. They're like, yeah, it's nice out here. It's a little windy. We got a little bit of rain, but everything's still popping, and there's no sign of a hurricane, so we're still open until further notice. And I was like, fuck yeah. And we went, and we went towards the hurricane and (laughs) had a vacation, and it was good. It was a, a nice one. Hardly anyone was out in the city. We had the city to ourselves. It was nice. I mean, I can't say anything. We were technically in, uh, during COVID, no less, in 2020, we were in Florida uh, at Disney uh, whenever, I mean, good in the sense that we got any ride we wanted for like, you know, basically 20 minutes or less wait. Yeah. In the sense that a lot of the, like, you know, restaurants were closed. So that meant that you were like, I mean, we, we got so sick of like the one food option that the Polynesian had when we were staying at the time that we that we started ordering pizza yeah. to us. Um, but uh, like a small, like I, I think it, we got the edge of a hurricane that hit like the panhandle instead of, you know, or like Pensacola that, you know, it didn't come around the one side. It came around the other side of Florida. Yeah. And we got the back end of that, which was like some really bad rain and stuff. So we were technically in a hurricane 
while we were down there in Florida, although it hit the other side of the coast away from Orlando, so we didn't hit the, get the full brunt of it. See, so. so you get it, I guess, but you guys are kind of used to that, potentially? Not really, because okay. we live in landlocked Kentucky, okay. which, I mean, the Appalachian Mountains protect us against all but rain and, you know, a little bit of okay. wind, so we don't have to deal with any of that shit. Now, if the there's a fault line that runs through Kentucky that's supposed to be actually worse than the one that runs through that San Andreas fault mm-hmm. is. I think it's called the new Madrid, new Madrid, uh, vault fault. And, uh, I, I hope that thing never becomes active because there's nobody here prepared for that. If it yeah. does. I mean, probably same for us out here, probably not to the degree <laughs> that you guys have to go through. I don't know. It's just that we've been warned about so many things and it's always some kind of joke. And I think Californians at this point are just like numb to it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, what? The devil's coming down here from Georgia. Oh, okay, cool. Like we thought he already lived in LA, you know? Uh, so you're, you're covering the, you're covering Hillary flying yes. through. Uh, what else are you covering? Like anything besides that, like politically or anything like that? I'm or? pretty sure. Let me see if I can hit up the page real quick to see what she has thrown in there. Um, although I may not be able to tell. Uh, let me see. Oh, uh, the Tonga um, eruption. It's so there's a... Um, uh, some kind of underwater uh, volcano eruption, potentially. There's that, and then... So you're saying there's some new islands that are going to be formed. Cool. We better be buying our property while we're at it. Quite potentially. So, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> so that's a few of the topics we have right now. Uh, as far as this podcast goes, I don't... Did we ever set... Are we covering the rest of Chucky? Is that what we're doing next episode? I have eventually? no fucking clue. <laughs> Yeah, because I, I was, said we didn't have the rest of it, but you said, whoa, we have this and this. Then we talked about Pearl and X, and I'm like, I don't I'm know what to the do. Point of saying, I'm almost the point of saying Pearl and X because it'd be easier for me to watch those than it would be to get all the checks okay. in before. I think I'd rather episode. do that, too. Let's settle it right now. Let's do Pearl and X. I haven't seen either one of them. I've heard great things about them, and I want something fresh. Okay. That... You, I'm, I, if you end up liking Pearl, I will be both proud and, and surprised. I'm okay. just going to say because it is not your type of movie. Uh, I saw somebody complaining about it on, on Facebook recently. They said that they loved Pearl, or I mean X, but they couldn't understand why people like Pearl. And I explained it to them in this sit, situation or this sense. It is a, uh, it's a character portrait, meaning okay. that you are watching a movie about some, a person and they're uh, you know, dreams, their, you know, their mental, uh, you know, space that they're at and you're watching them go on a collision course into, you know, basically crazy town. So it's not one of those movies where you're going to get kills like every other second. You're, you're, you're with it to see Mia Goth just like slowly become crazier and crazier. Yeah. And so I watch X first and then Pearl, right? Uh, I would watch it in that order because if you watch Pearl first, you're going to be like, fuck this. I'm not watching X. Yeah. If you watch X, you'll be like, because Pearl's in X. That's the that's the link between them. So and when you watch it and you're like, and you realize who Pearl is, then you get to see her backstory, why she turned out the way she is in X. That, that makes for a better movie. Okay. Think. Yeah. So that's the plan uh, then. And with that, folks, peace be with you. And with your spirit.
Baby, it's what it 